So welcome to our service this morning. There's a, a, man in, uh, a man in America, he keeps a six foot long rattlesnake as a pet. Strange choice. He tells the story of how he lost his index finger. One day he took that snake into the living room and he released it just to tease his wife. Stranger choice. And as she fled in terror, he quickly took a stick and he placed it behind the reptile's head, holding it firmly to the floor. As the irritated snake twisted, the man pushed harder on that stick to maintain control. Well, the stick snapped and broke, didn't it? The snake was very quick to rip around and give him a good bite on the, on the finger. Medical treatment did save his life, but his finger had to be amputated. Similarly, sin can be like that rattlesnake. You can tease it, you can play with it, but it'll never be satisfied until its poison is injected into your soul. And you could lose far more than just a finger. Over these last few weeks, we have seen that God has done everything. He's done everything possible to open up the way for us to come into his presence. And we come without any sense of fear. No fear of being struck down. Thinking about the high priest in the Old Testament in the tabernacle would come in with the, the blood of the lamb but came in fear. Not sure whether this blood was going to be enough or would he be struck down. We come without any sense of fear. We are loved, we are accepted, we are forgiven, we are welcomed into the presence of God. Last week in our passage it says to to draw near. Draw near to God. We're invited to draw near. And the writer of Hebrews now addresses the problem of sin, of tolerating sin, even pursuing sin, and the consequences of turning away from God. You see, Judaism at the time was a recognised and approved religion. Within the Roman Empire, Judaism was recognised. However, Christianity was not. And Christians were persecuted under Roman permission. And so it was tempting now for some to return back to Judaism to escape persecution. And for some of these Christians too, they'd come into a new freedom as they no longer felt under the weight of their sin as they had previously. There's this freedom, this, this weight was lifted off their shoulders of the guilt of sin. For some of them, they now began to sense that freedom in forgiveness. They began to treat their sin less seriously. So beware. This passage today refers to those who have walked away from their faith or those who are at risk of doing so. And so these are real words of warning to us too. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 10. We'll begin at verse 26. 
If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. But what is left? Only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The writer doesn't want to see the saved lost. He says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, then there's no sacrifice left for our sin. What is left is the fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. If you deliberately sin, you keep on sinning as an enemy of God, as one who had once walked with God and talked with God, then you will face judgment, you will face a raging fire. You see, for some of these Christians, they now knew folk who no longer met together, who no longer encouraged one another, no longer spurred one another on, They knew folk who had walked away from God, no longer drawing near to God. Are you drawing near to God? As we asked last week, what does your relationship with God look like? Are you drawing near to God? Are you giving also deliberate thought to other Christians and how to encourage them, how to spur them on. Deliberate thought. For some of these folk, the pendulum had swung too far the other way. They were no longer concerned about their sin, the consequences of sin. However, sin still does have consequences. Unaddressed and tolerated sin can lead to a loss of faith in God. So if you deliberately keep tolerating sin, you treat Jesus' sacrifice as though it means nothing to you, then you'll face judgment. And for the enemies of God, there will ultimately be a raging fire that will consume you, that continues to devour them. A place where the worm does not die, as it says elsewhere in Scripture. A place of eternal torment. as they were brought up within the constraints of Judaism, they knew the law so well. They knew who it was who warned them of rejecting God. God reminds them. He says this, Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished 
who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the Spirit of grace. Willful rejection of the law of Moses led to death. If two or three witnesses would testify that someone deliberately disobeyed the law of Moses, then they would be stoned to death. Disobedience was treated seriously. But where there was accidental disobedience, then there was sacrifices were offered and forgiveness was freely given, was extended. So what do you think would happen for those who discard, disregard Jesus' sacrifice? Those who once walked with him and talked with him, those who now trample him underfoot, reject his blood as cleansing and removing their sin. They've insulted the Spirit of God. They've called who has called them into faith. They've insulted the grace of the Father, which was so mercifully extended to them. They've turned away. They've rejected Christ. They've pursued the passing pleasures of this life instead. So what do you think will be the result of deliberate rejection, deliberate disobedience? If willfully rejecting the law of the Old Testament ended in death, then how much more severe will be the punishment of those who willfully reject Jesus? So it's serious. They'll face judgment, they'll face the raging fires of destruction. They're no longer called friends of God, enemies of God. And the people would have recalled the words of the Old Testament. They knew that it was God who had declared, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And so the writer concludes it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. His warning then to them, if you're thinking of turning back to Judaism, then think again. Think again. Don't reject Jesus. Don't turn your back on him. Don't lose your faith. Don't keep tolerating sin. Don't keep justifying sin. Don't allow that to, for you to become insensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Don't become a victim of the slow fade. Instead, draw near to God. God is calling you to draw near to him. Hold on to the hope that you possess and consider how you might encourage and spur one another on. Now, for those of you here this morning who may have been tolerating sin, all is not lost. But draw near to God. Turn back to God. Ask for his forgiveness. Seek his mercy. As you continue to draw near to him, ask for his strength to stand firm in saying no to further temptations. We can always draw near to God, confident that Jesus' blood 
has paid the price for our sin, opened the way for us to keep coming back to our gracious God without fear. Keep returning to God, draw near to God. The writer then moves into another line of thought that sometimes we handle upfront persecution and remain more faithful through those tough times than we do when life is more pleasant, more comfortable for us. And he calls them to remember their past faithfulness through tough times. Verse 32 to 35. Remember those early days after you'd received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence It will be richly rewarded. Don't throw away your confidence in God. These were difficult days when Christians were facing persecution, both from Rome and for those who were really zealous about Judaism, those who were still in Judaism and wanting them to come back. You remember Saul as he made it his purpose to track down new believers in Jesus and have them thrown into jail. This is also a time when it was sanctioned by Rome that Christians could be persecuted under law. They could be whipped, beaten, flogged, put in jail, even fed to the lions in the Colosseum for some of them. And the property of Christians was to be confiscated. Can you imagine losing everything just because you're a Christian? They endured great conflict full of suffering. They were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, yet they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. Joyfully. Would you or I? I somehow doubt it. They did. Why? Because their confidence was in their God. Their confidence was in our God. They knew that they had a better inheritance that was eternal. Wouldn't our confidence in God be tested if we were to lose everything we own? If you were to lose everything you owned right now, wouldn't your confidence in God be tested? Where are you, God? What's going on here? What? You can't allow this. But he says to these folk, you didn't let those days of persecution diminish your faith, so remember those days and remember the strength of your determination to stand firm for the Lord. Remember. 
So don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. And of course, this is not the way our world operates, is it? His encouragement to these folk is diametrically opposed to the thinking of our world. Our world seeks comfort and pleasure. Our world seeks that we escape from calamity, deliverance from trial, the favour of men. Our world demands promotion, not demotion. Our world looks for accumulation of property and wealth, not at seizure. Victory, never defeat. And this kind of thinking creeps into the hopes and the expectations of us as Christians. It infiltrates the way we think, the way we look at life. We don't expect to suffer. We don't expect to be ridiculed. We don't expect to have our possessions seized. And if it were to occur, we would demand justice. And we would take our fight to a current affair if nowhere else. (laughs) We would stand up for our rights and we would fight that justice is afforded. But verse 36 to 39, there is no argument. There is no argument for demanding justice. Verse 36 to 39, you need to persevere. He doesn't say, you need to stand up and fight for your rights. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous ones, but my righteous ones will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Once again, this passage is not supporting our culture's push to make sure that our rights are upheld, that justice is delivered. This passage isn't supporting that. That's not the writer's concern, but rather that they endure the suffering. Keep enduring the suffering, persevere through. The writer is actually quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2. And Habakkuk at this point saw the armies of Babylon sweeping down from the north and vulnerable Israel lay in its wake. And he says, you need to persevere just as you did through your days of suffering and persecution. He's calling God's people to stand firm in their faith, even though the whole world seems to be turning upside down and inside out for them. He says that although destruction is coming, just as it was for Habakkuk, he saw Babylon coming. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous ones 
will live by faith. In the midst of that persecution and suffering. Now if the readers of this book of Hebrews lived to see the awful war that took place between the Jews and Rome in between AD 66 and 70 when Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple, not one stone was left standing on another. Their revered temple was utterly destroyed. I think they would have well said, now that's what he was talking about. That's what he meant. Destruction is coming and in fact it has come. But he also said the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith and that the Lord is not pleased with those who shrink back. So let's keep our eyes on the bigger picture. Let's keep our eyes on the eternal reward. And as we look at our world today, a world of chaos and a world of destruction, it's probably no worse than it has been right throughout history. But as we look at our world, a world of chaos and hopelessness, we too may think that we're heading for tough days. We'll persevere. Let's hear these words of warning and words of assurance. God does not take pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But the faithful will be saved. The righteous do live by faith. And in a little while, we also know that Jesus will return. At some point, it was 2,000 years ago that the writer of Hebrews said that in a little while, Jesus will return. 2,000 years ago. So remain faithful. Remain faithful and you will be saved. I wonder, can you join your voice with the the writer, as he says in verse 39, in these words, if we remain steadfast in our faith in the Lord, then we have nothing to fear, for we are saved. We have nothing to fear. We are saved by faith and we're called to live by faith. And the writer of Hebrews goes on now into chapter 11 to talk just about that. He's saying we've been saved by faith, now live by faith. And he gives example after example after example. They lived by faith in tough days. So Christians, church, be encouraged, but also be warned. Don't reject God. Don't turn your back on on Jesus. As Jesus said in Matthew 24, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not might be, but will be. Will be saved. And to those of you who may not have accepted God's love and forgiveness, acknowledging Jesus, that Jesus' blood has, has paid the price for your sin, then you must be warned if you've not done that that you are rejecting God and there will be consequences so please don't delay in becoming a Christ follower and let's remain faithful we're going to draw our service to a close as we stand and sing the song
Lord, I need you. And don't we do just that? We need the Lord all day, every day. Let's stand and acknowledge that. And you might wish to just make that a, a, a recommitment or a commitment to the Lord that I'm going to remain faithful to you because of who you are and what you've done for me.